All right, praise the Lord. Uh, let's open our Bibles if you have them with you. First of all, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I was uh, looking over some early, early notes this afternoon. And uh, I went all the way back to 1989. Talking about winning. Talking about being a champion. And I shared these notes with the San Francisco 49ers in 1989. I remember... uh, Wendell Tyler was a running back for the 49ers. He was a close friend of mine. And he asked if I could come and do a chapel service for them. So we went out to San Francisco and I thought, what in the world am I going to say to these guys? They just won the Super Bowl the year before. I think they'd won it the year before that as well. And this was the Joe Montana era. And uh, when they all gathered up, I thought, what in the world could I possibly say to these guys? Look like 10,000 pounds of muscle sitting out there. And Pee Wee Herman standing at the pulpit, you know. And uh, so I said, Lord, give me something that will get their attention. Because it's not likely they want to hear anything I have to say. I never played professional football. So what what can I say to world champions? And I heard it come out of my mouth. I said, gentlemen, you're Super Bowl champions. You're the best. You know how to play football. But there's more to life than playing football. You're champions. You're winners. But only in one thing, playing football. You're losers as husbands. You're losers as fathers. You're losers as money managers. And the reason I know that your wives call my office and ask for prayer for you. I had their attention. <laughs> Thank God. And I remember uh, after, the, after the chapel service, I, I went to the game and uh, sat with her families. And, and then after the game was over, uh, Wendell was going to take me home with him, spend the night with him. And then I was going to fly back home the next morning. And uh, as we're walking to Wendell's car, I heard somebody running up behind me, but there were a lot of people, so I I didn't turn around. I didn't think it had anything to do with me. But then somebody tapped me on the shoulder, and it was Rocket Ishmael. Anybody remember Rocket Ishmael? And he said, I needed to hear that today. I thought, thank God somebody needed to hear it today. (laughs) Amen. Winners. I believe God has called each and every one of us to be a winner a champion in life. Not just a few, not just a handful, not just certain people that already have the criteria, have the background, have everything going for them. Every person who's ever made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life has the potential to be a winner in life. Whether they ever become that winner or not, determined by them. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you all know very well, simply says that uh, when, we're, when we become born again, and I'm just paraphrasing, when we become born again, we become new creatures in Christ. New creatures. The message translation says, the old life is gone. The old life is gone. And another translation adds this, and a new life begins sprouting and growing. A new life begins sprouting and growing. The literal Greek says that we become a new species of being that has never existed before. How many of you are glad for that? I certainly am because the old Jerry Savelle was a failure, a quitter. I, I looked for opportunities to quit when the pressure was on. I always looked for the path of least resistance. I didn't know any better, didn't know these things that I know today. And so when the heat was on, I found an excuse to just quit, give up. But that's not my nature anymore because I'm a new creature, a new species of being that has never existed before. Every once in a while I run into someone who knew me B.C. before Christ. I remember one time um, uh, in one of my offices uh, prior to moving out this direction, uh, I was in my office one day and my mother 
uh, was my receptionist in those days. And I was back in my office, which is toward the back of the building, and I was walking up to the front to go see my mother to share something with her. And before I got to the uh, lobby, I heard someone talking to my mother. And the, the man said, is this the Jerry Savelle who lived in Shreveport, Louisiana? She said, yes, it is. He didn't know that was my mother he was talking to. Yes, it is. Is this the Jerry Savelle that graduated from Woodlawn High School? Yes, it is. Is this the Jerry Savelle that went to Northwestern State College? Yes, it is. I'm listening to this. He said, and he's a preacher? She said, yes, he is. He's my son. He said, I can't believe he's a, pre- he's a preacher. And so I looked around the corner and I saw him. And he said, I can't believe he's a preacher. Praise the Lord. And I looked around the corner and saw him. And I walked in and I said, did you say praise the Lord? He said, yes. I said, I can't believe you're saved. Because <laughs> we knew each other B.C. before Christ. And uh, I didn't, I, you know, it was hard for me to believe he was saved. And it was hard for him to believe I was a preacher. But when we become born again, as you well know, this is nothing new to you. Our life should change drastically. Amen. 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 To the point that people have a hard time believing that you're that person. Well, you're really not that person anymore. Thank God that old Jerusalem is dead and gone. And the one standing in front of you has no resemblance to that man. This is a new creation, a new species of being that has never existed before. And the one standing in front of you now is not a quitter. He's a winner. Praise God. Amen. And God's no respecter of persons. If he could do that for me, then he can do it for anybody in this room. But it's just not automatic. There are certain things that you and I must apply in our lives. So uh, when I began to learn those things and began to appropriating them, then my life totally changed. And today, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to say that because of Christ in me and because of his Holy Spirit dwelling in me, I'm not the same man. I'm not a quitter anymore. I'm a winner. I'm a champion. And I'm looking for a place to win again. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And you certainly have the same ability. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That gives us the potential to be a winner in life, in every aspect of life. Because the greater one indwells us. Look at somebody and say, the greater one lives inside of me. And because of that, I have the potential to be a winner in every area of my life. Now, once again, if you're not winning in life, it's certainly not God's fault. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault. Uh, That only leaves you. So we have the potential to be champions and to be winners in every area of our life. I like to say failure and defeat are no longer in my future. Failure and defeat are no longer in my future. Amen. Most of you have heard me say that before, uh, uh, when I surrendered my life to the Lord in 1969, I said to the Lord at three o'clock that morning, February the 11th, I said, Lord, do you have any idea what you're getting when you get me? He said, yes. I said, well, let me just remind you I'm a failure. And I'll never forget what he said. Don't worry about it, son. I'm a master at making champions out of failures. He said, just start reading the Bible and you'll find out there were a lot of failures that I made champions out of. In fact, after I began studying the Gospels and learning about the... uh, Man, there's something buzzing around my nose. (laughs) And uh, uh, as I began to... uh, Thank you. It's It's not dripping or running. It was just something... Was there a gnat in here or something? <laughs> well, I guess it went up my nose because I don't feel it anymore. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, at least the bird of paradise didn't fly up my nose. Praise God. That, wasn't there a song about that? Okay, let's get back to the Word. So uh, when, when I said to the Lord that uh, I was a failure and He said, don't worry about it because I'm a master at making champions out of failures... And, and as I began studying the Gospels and, and looking at the men that Jesus chose 
to follow him, none of them in the natural were what you would call champions. In fact, I I question what was he thinking when he chose them? Because none of them in the natural, you know, looked like they had the credentials to become world changers. But Jesus saw something in them that perhaps the rest of the world didn't. You know, Peter was a big mouth, couldn't back half what he said. If you made him mad, he'd cut your ear off. Amen. I mean, Jesus has a healing ministry and Peter goes around cutting people's ears off. As if there wasn't enough sick people without him doing that. And uh, James and John, I called them mama's boys. They said, mama, would you tell Jesus when he comes into his kingdom that John and I are the best boys on his team and we'd like to sit on each side of his throne. And you know what mama did? She went and told Jesus. My boys are the best boys you have. And uh, Judas was a thief. Thomas, how'd you like to have someone on your team? And this is a faith ministry and his name is Doubting Thomas. But Jesus saw something in them. And he sees something in you and me, every one of you, no matter what your background is, no matter how many times you failed in the past, no matter how many times you have blown it, no matter how many times that you tried and gave up and had to start over again, Jesus still sees something in you. He sees potential. When he looks at you, he's looking at a winner. He's looking at a champion, praise God. So the next time you look in the mirror at yourself, just give him one of those fawns. Yeah. You know, a champion is looking back at you. Praise God. Can you say amen? amen? So greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. One of my favorite scriptures has always been in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17. You're familiar with it. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And the latter end of that verse says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. But the Amplified is the version that I like the best. It says, triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Triumph over opposition. That's what you and I should be doing. Every time we experience opposition, we should be triumphant over it. That's our heritage. Can you say amen? Amen. The message translation says, this is what God's servants can expect. I'll see to it that everything works out for the best. This is what you and I can expect, that God will see to it that everything we do works out for the best. Now that sounds like to me a winning lifestyle. How about you? If everything is turning out for the best, then you're winning. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them, my days of failure and defeat are over. We're entitled, we're entitled to win and we're entitled to win every time. Another favorite scripture, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. I'm glad that word always is in there. Always means no exceptions. So that means I have the, I have the right. It's my heritage because I'm in Christ. I belong to him. He belongs to me. It's my heritage to be triumphant always. I don't see how anybody could possibly get that it's the will of God out of that verse, win a few, lose a few. We triumph always. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, obviously to triumph always, we have a part to play. And uh, we'll be talking about some of those things in just a moment. The Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus made this statement. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The Amplified reads this way. Whoever loses his lower life on my account will find the higher life. Hallelujah. We don't have to live on that lower level anymore. When we surrender our life to Christ, then we're entitled to live a higher form of life. Does that sound good to anybody in here? Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 from the Amplified Version says, We are God's own handiwork, His workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus. Then the last part of that verse says, Living the good life which He prearranged 
and made ready for us to live. So notice God has already prearranged for us to live a good life. And I think winning is part of that good life. I think being a champion is part of that good life. Amen. I like winning. Anybody like winning? You've probably heard me tell this before, but uh, when, when I was a young boy and first began playing baseball, went out for a little league team and, and uh, we practiced and several days before we had our first game. And uh, we're sitting in the dugout and the coach stood in front of us and he said, boys, it's not whether we win or lose today, it's how we play the game that counts. I thought that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I'm only about nine or ten years old. I lifted my hand. He said, what is it, Jerry? I said, well, if it doesn't matter whether we win or lose, why did we even practice? Amen? Why, why didn't we just show up today without practicing? If it doesn't matter whether we win or lose. I said, it matters to me whether we win or lose. And if it doesn't matter to you, I don't want to play for you. So I walked off and found a coach that it mattered that we win. Because <laughs> I don't like playing on a losing team. And we played that team every year and we won every time. And I wanted to go by him and say, nah, 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 but I didn't, you know. But And uh, I remember one year... Uh, he, he came to my house and I heard my dad talking to someone and I was back in my bedroom. My dad said, uh, son, somebody wants to talk to you. And, and this man had also told me uh, at first before, you know, he changed his mind. He told me I was too little to play. And uh, that broke my heart. I, I told him, I said, sir, I didn't know that it mattered how, your size. I thought it was skill. What, what difference does it make how small I am? Because I was small. And, uh, and he made sure that I knew I was small. And he said, I, you're too little to play. I said, well, I thought it was skill. What does size have to do with it? I think I can play as well as anybody out here. Well, you're just too little. Well, then he changed his mind. And then, you know, uh, we started practicing. And then this comes up with, it's not whether we win or lose. It's how we play the game that counts. So I didn't play for him. And we beat him every year. So he came to my house and he told my dad, he said, I'd like to talk to Jerry. So my dad called me up to the living room and, and I saw him. He said, uh, my dad said, son, uh, this man wants to talk to you. He said, Jerry, I'd like for you to play for us next year. I said, uh, well, sir, I, I don't think I'll ever play for you. He said, why not? I said, well, for two reasons. Number one, I'm too little. And number two, you don't care whether we win or lose, and I do. So I'll never play for you. And I never did, and we beat him every year. Why? Because he didn't care whether we win or lose. Anybody like playing on a losing team? Anybody ever played any kind of organized sports? Lift your hand. Well, most of you in here. Did you ever notice the losing team doesn't get a lot of recognition? <laughs> Do you ever notice in a professional level, the losing team, they never go in the locker room and interview them? Boy, you guys were lousy tonight. How come you always lose? No, they go into the winning locker room. Amen. They go in the winning locker room. Why? Because people are attracted to winners. I said, people are attracted to winners. I've, I've had the privilege over the years to not only do chapel services for uh, the 49ers, the Chicago Bears. I did some for the Cowboys. Uh, I was called up to Green Bay to do a chapel service for Green Bay. As it turned out, the coach was a little bit irritated at the team, so he had a lockdown and wouldn't let him come to chapel. But uh, anyway, they, they showed me around, and I got to go to Vince Lombardi's office, and uh, they gave me a football and autographed it and had me to run under the goalpost out on the field. So I did get do some uh, fun things while I was there. But I've had the privilege over the years to, to ministering to a lot of professional athletes, especially professional boxers, because I love boxing. I think you know that by now. Uh, and, and one of my uh, favorite uh, friendships that developed was with Evander Holyfield. And I went to see Evander when he was an amateur. I went to see him try out for the Olympics. And then I went to the Olympics in L.A. to see him box. 
And then when he turned pro, I went to several of his fights. And uh, the fight that uh, Mike Tyson beat his ear, uh, just a couple of weeks after that fight, I went and picked up Evander in my airplane and took him to a meeting I was doing in Tulsa, had him give his testimony. And uh, I, I said to Evander one time, I said, I've been around boxing all my life. I started listening to it on the radio before we had television. My dad boxed in the Navy back in World War II. I had an uncle who was an uh, Army champion in World War II. He got to uh, do uh, exhibition bouts with Joe Lewis during World War II. And so before we got a television, we had to listen to boxing matches on the radio. And I'd listen to fights of Rocky Marciano and Sugar Ray Robinson and Archie Moore. I loved it. I could hardly wait for the fights. And then we finally got a TV. How many of you remember Friday Night Fights? And uh, uh, Pat's Blue Ribbon was the sponsor. And then uh, Gillette Blades became a sponsor. And boy, we were glued. My dad and I were glued to that television set watching the Friday Night Fights. And I said to Evander, I said, I've been around boxing all my life, but I've never seen anybody who is so focused when they come out of that dressing room as you. In fact, many times, if you've ever seen some of his fights, he was praying in the spirit when he walked out of the dressing room because he attended Creflo Dollar's church. And every time I'd preach for Creflo, uh, if Evander wasn't in training, he'd be in the service. And uh, Creflo had two morning services. And between the two services, Evander and I'd talk boxing. And uh, uh, I said, you're, you're the, one of the most focused people Boxers that I've ever seen in my life. And he said, well, the reason being is because uh, nobody believed I would become a champion but me. He said, I was always told I was too little. I was too little. He said, and I knew that one day I was going to be heavyweight champion of the world. He said, and the difference between me and the other people who boxed Mike Tyson... They were afraid of him. I boxed Tyson as an amateur and I wasn't afraid of him. And you could tell that when he walked in the ring, that first fight, he was not afraid. In fact, I told, I told my wife one time, I said, uh, if I was a betting man, I would have won a lot of money on that fight that night. But I'm not a betting man. Because I knew Evander wasn't afraid of him. Why? Because he knew his own ability. He knew he had done what was, what was demanded of him to be in the best shape that he could be. He knew he had a champion mentality, a champion mindset, and he was not going to allow someone to defeat him that he knew he could beat. Well, my point is this. Satan has already been defeated. He's already been defeated. And if we can't overcome somebody that's already been defeated, then uh, that's, that's a sad place to be in. Yes, now, don't tell Mike Tyson this, but if somebody beat Tyson up really bad and they'd have to put him in the ring on a stretcher and he couldn't even lift his arms, I'd sign a contract for $30 million to fight him. <laughs> Wouldn't you? If you knew in advance, he can't put up a fight. <laughs> He's already beat. Yeah, I'd sign on the line $30 million to fight him. I remember uh, when Evander flew with me to Tulsa, I deliberately put him on the left side of my airplane so I could look at his right ear. Boy, Tyson bit a chunk out of it, this whole bottom section right here. And I said to, uh, uh, I, I wasn't at the fight, but I was watching it that night. And uh, on television. <clears throat> and I asked him, I said, Evander, what in the world went through your mind when he bit your ear off? He said, I wanted to bite him back. <laughs> he said, but I thought they'd disqualify him. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to get disqualified as well. So, you know, I stood my ground. But he said, boy, it hurt. If you saw the fight, he jumped up when, when he bit him. And, uh, but they let the fight continue. And Tyson bit him again. And uh, spit, the, spit the ear piece out. And uh, so then they finally disqualified Mike Tyson. He said, but after it was over with, and I kind of settled down back in my dressing room, he said, I thought, 
that's the quickest $30 million I ever made in my life. I might let him back the left ear now for another 30 million, you know. You know, winners have a mindset. Amen. Amen. Can you imagine Joe Montana going on the field? Oh, I hope we win today. I don't know if we can do this. I'm not sure if I can still pass or not. Not Joe Montana. Huh? They have winner mindsets. Eric played on a championship basketball team when he was in college. Did it take a winner's mindset? Amen. It takes a winner's mindset to win in life. So the Bible tells us that there are certain things that you and I must put into our lives to develop that winner's mindset. And I want to go over some of them with you. If you're taking notes, you might want to take some. Winning starts with the way you think. Winning starts with the way you think. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as you know, we do not become conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Phillips translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The Living Bible says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. So what does it mean to be conformed? The word conform means to assume an outward expression that does not come from within. An outward expression that does not come from within. The word conform also means to wrap yourself in a mask that does not truly express what you are on the inside. To wrap yourself in a mask that does not truly express Express what you are on the inside. So deep on the inside of you is a winner because Jesus is there. When he lives his life through your life, then winning is going to become your lifestyle. What does it mean to be transformed? In the Greek word, transform is the verb uh, metamorphosis, from which comes the English word metamorphosis. And... It literally means, uh, or it takes place in us by the renewing of the mind. Just like the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Or the tadpole becoming a frog. They go through a, a metamorphosis period. And when it's over, they come out something different. Okay? It's the same way with us. When we continually feed on God's word and begin renewing our minds, then we go through a metamorphosis where we're no longer like we were. Right. We now think like Christ. Right. Amen. And to think like Christ is to think like a winner. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. I, don't, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said, I sure hope this works today. I sure hope I have enough anointing on me to, to, to heal this leper. No. He says, Father, you hear me always. Lazarus, come forth. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Amen? I mean, he, he never questioned uh, the anointing that was on him. In fact, that's the first thing he said uh, in the synagogue after he entered into his public ministry, reading from the scroll from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to do thus and so. And from that moment, that's exactly what he did for the next three and a half years. And never questioned it. Didn't say, I hope the anointing's here today. I hope I have the ability to do this. No, it was there. He knew it was there. You're a winner. But do you know that? (laughs) Amen. He's on the inside. Do you know that? You're not in this alone, praise God. Amen. So there should be through the renewing of the mind, something very drastic take place in your life where you are no longer recognized as the person you were before Christ. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Tony's had the opportunity to go back to the hood in Los Angeles. In fact, had the audacity to take me there one time. <laughs> I was going to Fred Price's church 
And he took me in the hood because we got there early. I said, Tony, I've seen enough now. You can turn around and go back now. But, you know, he come up out of the hood. And now <clears throat> he has an opportunity to minister to people that he knew back there. And they don't, they, they, they don't recognize this guy. Maybe somewhat in appearance. But they don't recognize the man they're talking to now. Why? Something's happened. A change took place. The renewing of the mind. And that's what should take place in every one of us. That as we continue to feed on the Word of God and begin this process called the renewing of the mind, we don't think like we used to think. We don't talk like we used to talk. We don't act like we used to act. And we don't lose like we used to lose. And we're not defeated like we were before. We're winners now, praise God. Give the Lord a shout if you believe it, praise God. Amen. Winning can only become a reality when one's thoughts are radically changed. When one's thoughts are radically changed. And that radical change takes place from and through the Word of God. You're not going to become the winner that God wants you to be outside of this book. Amen. You have to, you have, to have the words of this book deeply planted on the inside of you if you're ever going to become the winner that God wants you to be. So by affecting the way we think, we are able to be the winners that God wants us to be. It's a spiritual all that we become what we think. Proverbs 23, 7 says from the New American Standard Bible, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. So how do you think about yourself? When you see yourself in the mirror, what do you see? Has anybody watched any of those equalizer movies? With... Oh, I can hardly wait for number three to come out. You know, it's out now. That's a bad dude. I love it when he looks at that time push and clicks it and, you know, wipes out about 40 people and says, hmm. 15 seconds, you know, <laughs> not many, not 40, but a bunch. And one in one of them, I think it was the first one, the Russian guy says, when you look at me, what do you see? When you look at yourself, what do you see? Amen. Do you see what God sees? Amen. Or do you still see yourself the world sees you, the way the world sees you? So... You are affected by how you think and by what you think. So once again, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. The secret to winning is to think thoughts of winning. Think thoughts of winning. Amen. Based upon the word of God. Go through the Bible and just just highlight. And then if necessary, I, I would say this is the way I started. It was necessary for me. I would find those scriptures, and then back then we certainly didn't have all the technology we have today, and I used index cards. And I just wrote those scriptures on index cards and tacked them onto my mirror in my bathroom with scotch tape, just lined them up with scriptures of I can, I am. And, and while I'm shaving in the morning, or getting ready to start my day, I read all those scriptures out. Of course, now, praise God, we had to put it all on my our phones and so forth, but we didn't have that back then. So I had to write them out and put them on the mirror. And before I left my house, I'd confess all those things. I can do all things through Christ. I am more than a conqueror through him that loves me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Uh, I, I will conquer and I will triumph always. And by the time I got through with all of them, Man, I was ready to, to, to tackle the day, whatever came my way. Amen. 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 And have the, a winning attitude about it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the secret to winning is to think thoughts of winning. It's simply programming your mind with the right information. And that right information is the Word of God. Yes, to refuse to think as a winner is to conform to this world. To refuse to think like a winner is to conform to this world. And Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. 
So become something that you were meant to be. And you were meant to be a champion. Can you say amen? amen? Most people are conformist. They conform to whatever the world says. If the world says no way, they conform to it. If the world says you can't, they conform to it. If the world says that's impossible, they conform to it. I've said many times, you've probably heard me say it in the past. If you studied the ministry of Jesus, most every sermon he preached, the central theme was dare to be different. Dare to be different. He'd say things like, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. The Pharisees say, but I say unto you. What is he saying? Dare to be different. You don't have to be like the world. You don't have to, you don't have to live the way CNN says you have to live. You don't have to live the way the non-believer says you have to live. And you don't have to live the way unbelieving believers say you have to live. Amen. 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 So most people are conformists, but dare to be different. That's the message of Jesus. Dare to be different. Satan is, is ruthless in his attempt to get us to uh, accept failure, to get us to just lay down and quit. But that's not our true nature. Our true nature is to fight the good fight of faith. Amen. I say uh, true Christianity, real Christianity is a fight. It's not for wimps. We fight the good fight of faith. Paul said uh, at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. And he was a winner, praise God. A winner in life because of him knowing who he was in Christ and his ability in and through Christ. Amen. So don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mode and don't allow Satan to convince you that there's absolutely no way that you could overcome this situation. As long as Jesus is the way, there is a way. Amen. As long as Jesus is the way, then there is a way for you to overcome every adversity. All right. So first of all, winning has everything to do with how you think. Number two, winning demands that you control your tongue. Winning demands that you control your tongue. These are basic principles seen from the word of God. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. I won't read them all, but uh, one of the verses says, The tongue is a fire, a restless evil, and full of deadly poison. The Oxford Bible says, Setting on fire the course of nature. Another translation says, It sets on fire the course of our life. And it's set on fire by hell. So, James tells us that in order... Uh, to experience God's best, and I'm paraphrasing, to be the champion and the winner that God wants you to be, you have to at some point tame your tongue. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Because the tongue is unruly. Yes. The Bible says from the, right, uh, the teachings of Jesus that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. So whatever's in here in abundance, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. Amen. If you're talking failure all the time, that's because it's down here. If you're talking defeat all the time, it's because that's what's in you. Amen. And, and you, can't, you can't control or tame your tongue by just standing in front of the mirror and saying, I, uh, I won't talk negative, I won't talk negative, I won't talk negative, I won't talk negative. It takes more than that. You have to replace the negative with the positive, and the positive is the Word of God. Amen. It's not mind over matter. Amen. It's replacing what you used to say with what he says. And that doesn't happen overnight, but you got to start one night. Amen. I remember when Carolyn and I first started, we didn't know these things. I mean, this was all brand new to me. I never heard anybody talk about this until Kenneth Copeland came and in 1969 to the church that Carolyn grew up in. And after I came to the Lord, I started attending that church. And, and I got those reel-to-reel tapes 
of the, of the week's meetings that he was there. And I started listening to him. And in one service, he talked about the power of the tongue and the power of words. I was shocked. I didn't know anything like that. I didn't know that one of my biggest problems was my mouth. That came as a great revelation. Wasn't really excited about it at first. I wanted it to be Carolyn's fault, not mine. You know. <laughs> and so when we learned that you have to tame your tongue and that the only way that you could do that was to replace what you had been programmed with with the Word of God. It's like, a, it's like reprogramming a computer, you know. You're taking away what the way you used to think, used to talk, replacing it with God's Word. Amen. 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 So we made a, a pact with one another. We heard Kenneth and Gloria do this. They said that uh, uh, in order to help train one another, that if either one of them said something negative, then the other would say, that's your confession, and I set myself in agreement with it, and you'll have it. And the one would say that made the negative declaration, no, that's not what I want. I bind those words. Don't set yourself in agreement with me over that. And, and they would go back and forth doing that until they learned. And it finally gets to a place to where you're not having to force it out of you. It's in you in abundance, and it just flows out of you. Amen. 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 I don't, I don't have to stand up in the morning now after 54 years of living this way. Uh, I sure want to talk positive today. Help me, Lord, talk positive. No, I'm positive. Amen. It's in me. Amen. I, I don't talk negative. Amen. I don't talk sickness and disease. I don't talk poverty, lack, and want. I don't talk failure and defeat. Why? I've replaced all of that with the Word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. That when I'm around other people, particularly other Christians who don't know these things, you ever been around Christians that don't know these things? And they still talk like the world, and yet they love God, but they haven't had their minds renewed. When, when I'm around Christians who talk sickness and disease and failure and lack and poverty, it's almost, it, it almost sounds like cussing to me. Amen. It, it, it grieves my spirit. Anybody ever felt that way? It's just not the way I talk anymore. It's not the way I think anymore. Now, this didn't all happen overnight, but I had to start one night. And then, praise God, over a period of time, uh, praise God, it's just my nature now. It's the way I am. Amen. And it's a good way to live, praise God. Can you say amen? amen? So winning demands that you control your tongue. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen to this. Remember that in Hebrews 11, it says, God framed the worlds with his word through faith. Did you know that you and I can frame our world with our words and through faith? What kind of world do you want to live in? I'm talking about a world within this world. You can frame your own world with the words of your mouth. Amen. Amen. I I live in a different world than a lot of other people. Many of you live in a different world than a lot of other people. Even a lot of other Christians. And I frame this world that I live in with the words of my mouth. Speaking God's word. Amen. Amen. And you have to be consistent in it. And you don't, you don't, you know, say amen tonight. And then go home and start talking the way you used to talk. You got to be consistent. Don't your neighbor and say, the name of the game is consistency. Amen. So the life that you build for yourself is framed by your own words. Hebrews 11.3. Number three, winning demands establishing right relationships. Right relationships. Who you run with has everything to do with how your life turns out. Amen. How many of you run with winners? <laughs> Amen. I can be around anybody, but my best friends are winners. Amen. My best friends are champions. My best friends are people who believe the word of God. 
My best friends are people who don't quit. My best friends are, are people who, if I happen to be down, they encourage me. If they happen to be down, I encourage them. Amen. So right relationships has everything to do with developing a winning lifestyle. First and foremost, your relationship with God. Second, your relationship with others. Remember this. We have been admonished to not conform to this world. Therefore, who you associate with can determine winning or losing in your life. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The New American Standard says it this way. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company. So who are you running with? How many of you noticed that when you got extremely serious in your walk with God, some of your friends left you? <laughs> huh? Sometimes you have to get a whole new set of friends. Now, I can love all of them. I still love them. Not all of them love me anymore. But uh, I just don't run with them. I don't allow their unbelief to affect my faith. Hallelujah. So once again, bad company can corrupt good morals. If you begin to build relationships with negative, defeated, ungodly people, then there's a strong possibility you'll be conformed to the way they are. Monkey see, monkey do. (laughs) Cultivating wrong relationships can rob you of victories that God had in store for you. Ready for the next one? Winning demands, oh, you're going to love this one. Winning demands strong discipline. In, in any area of life. You know, why are Super Bowl champions champions? Discipline. Why do, why, do, why do teams seem to win the World Series more frequently than other teams? Discipline. Amen? Amen. Discipline. And it's true in the Christian life. It requires discipline. That's what a true disciple is. A disciplined one. The root word is discipline. Jesus made this statement. In John 8, 31. If if you uh, continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. If you continue in my word. That requires discipline. If you continue, then you will become a disciple indeed. If you continue, you'll become disciplined. Amen. The act of continuing produces discipline. You may have heard the story that when when I first came to the Lord and I said to the Lord, uh, when I began studying the word after I'd shut my business down and began preparing for full-time ministry and I said to the Lord, I'm going to get up in the morning at 6 o'clock, spend the first hour of my day in, in your word and in prayer. I got up out of bed at 6 o'clock, got my Bible, walked into our guest bedroom up front, laid down on that bed, laid the, laid the Bible in front of me, put my face in my hands. An hour later, I woke up. <laughs> I got so mad at myself. I had told the Lord that morning I was going to start this walk of faith and I fell asleep. All I did was change bedrooms. Made me so mad. So I said, Lord, I promise you tomorrow I'm going to give you that first one hour. I got up the next day, grabbed my Bible, went back into that bedroom, laid that Bible on the bed, put my face in my hands and tried my best to stay asleep. And an hour later, I woke up. I said, this is not working. So the next day, when I got up, I grabbed that Bible. I said, Lord, I'm going to try to find the most uncomfortable place in this house to give you that first hour of my day. And I walked down the hall, and that bedroom came up. 
And I heard on the inside, go to the bedroom, go to the bedroom. I said, no, I'm not going to that bedroom. I know what happens when I go to that bedroom. I walked a little further and we had a guest bathroom. I saw the tub. Now, I seriously did this. I'm not exaggerating. I walked in there and I stood on the edge of the tub with my Bible. I said, if you fall asleep now, you're going to bust your head. And I stood on the side of that tub for one hour, reading the word and praying. The next day I did the same thing. I did that for one week on the side of that tub. And then uh, after that first week, and I'm standing on the tub, I went down the hallway. I was headed for the tub again. And I heard, we can handle the bedroom now. I said, you liar. You're going back to the tub. I'll let you know when we can handle the bedroom. But notice the consistency brought the discipline. Amen. And I'm a very disciplined person today. Extremely disciplined. Ask my wife. Ask my daughters. I'm very disciplined today. But it all started with that first act. And I'm not suggesting that you go stand on the side of the tub. You do whatever it takes for you to become the disciplined person that God wants you to be. Because notice once again, if you continue in my word, notice it didn't say if you start... It says, if you continue, anybody can start something, but it takes a winner to continue. Amen. 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 And how many of you desire to be winners and champions in life? So once again, winning demands discipline. Uh, First Corinthians chapter six, verse 12, the new American standard version says from the apostle Paul, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, he says that, you know, uh, for instance, I use that verse. I, I used to go to those championship boxing matches. And most of them were held in Las Vegas at Caesar's Palace. And, and I would go to those big major championship boxing matches. But I had to go to Caesar's Palace to go. And I didn't like the environment. In fact, Caesar's Palace, when you check in the hotel at the front desk, you have to go through the casino to get to the elevators to go to your room. I wonder why they do that. To pull on you. So I'm, and I I didn't go to gamble. I've never played the slot machine. I've never played, I've never gambled in Las Vegas. Now, B.C., before Christ, I, I, I did, but not after Christ Amen. came into my life. Amen. I just went for the boxing match. That's all I was going for. And I remember I went to see uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Spinks. I mean, uh, uh, Thomas Hearns, the undisputed welterweight championship. I could hardly wait for that fight. And I checked into the Caesars Palace and... Uh, had to go through the casino to get to the elevator to go upstairs to my room. And as I'm walking to the elevator, I heard somebody holler, Brother Jerry, Brother Jerry. I thought, oh dear God, somebody's seen me in here. So I just, I just kept walking, just ignored it. Brother Jerry, they got louder. Brother Jerry. Now everybody's looking for Brother Jerry. So I finally turned around and a, one of the blackjack dealers was waving at me. Hey, Brother Jerry, I just got saved. Love your ministry. Pray I'll get another job. I thought, okay. I'm not doing anything wrong. This is not unlawful for me. But it wasn't profitable anymore. Because I might be a stumbling block to somebody that would see me in there. So I had to quit going to the boxing matches. Now, once again, God didn't say, thou shalt not go. I made the decision because once again, even though it was not unlawful, it just wasn't profitable because I could have become a stumbling block for a young believer that would see me in their sin. And if they saw me, I would, I probably would never have the opportunity to just tell them I'm not here to gamble, but they could assume they saw Jerry Seville in the casino. He must be backsliding. So this is what Paul means. He says, all things are lawful unto me, 
but not everything is profitable. And then he said it this way in the New American Standard. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now see, if I'd have kept going, even though I knew in my spirit it was no longer profitable, then it's mastering me. And I I still love boxing, but I have to watch it on television. I don't go anymore. I've been invited to go. In fact, one of the one of the men that I mentored, who was a professional boxer, uh, he was our uh, hopeful for the Olympics during Jimmy Carter's administration. Jimmy Carter boycotted the Olympics, so this young man from California turned pro, and within about eleven fights, he won a championship. And I would go to camp with him and between uh, sparring and training, I'd do Bible studies with him. I was mentoring him and he got hurt very badly in a match. I almost killed him. Spent uh, several months in the hospital. When he came out, he couldn't box anymore. And he went to work for Bob Aram, the promoter, Aaron. And he would call me and say, "Uh, I work for Bob Aram now. And uh, I've got your ringside seats for this big championship match coming up. Oh. Lord, forget what I said. <laughs> no. See, if I went, now it's mastering me. Right. And if it's mastering me, then I'm not disciplined. That's right. Anything that's mastering you, you need some more discipline in that area. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Huh? You know, if you, you haven't, well, I won't bring up those things, but you know what I'm talking about. Anything that, that is a, a weight or a sin, the Bible says, do away with it. And if you don't, then it's mastering you. Okay, we'll move on. I'm not getting much response there, okay? So winning demands strong discipline. The next one. Winning demands breaking bad habits. Bad habits. Once again, I will not be mastered by anything. The Greek word mastered means to be held under the authority of something. I heard somebody say one time, habit is like a cable. We weave a thread of it every day. Habit is like a cable. We weave a thread of it every day. Until at last, it cannot be broken. The analogy is good, but habits can be broken. Amen. The message translation says, if you stick With this word, Jesus speaking, if you stick with the word that I'm teaching you, living out what I tell you, then you are my disciples for sure. In other words, if you stick with it and you live it out every day, then you will become a disciplined person. You will become the winner that God has called you to be. And then finally, winning demands consistency. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, the New American Standard says, Let us not lose heart, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15, the message translation, Abraham stuck it out and got everything God promised to him. He was consistent. He stuck it out and got everything promised to him. If you're getting everything God promised to you, wouldn't you agree? You're a winner. You're a champion. You're what God has called you to be. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, now I'm going to wrap it up with this and I'm not going to expound upon any of it. Maybe another time. But uh, a number of years ago, this is actually in 1989 as well. And uh, this is something that I was sharing with a group of ministers in Chicago. And I called it the winner's Ten. The winner's 10, T-E-N. And they're all principles found 
from the life of the Apostle Paul and the life of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And they're all found in the book of Philippians. The winner's 10. So I'm just going to give them to you and uh, you study them and you'll find out the application of them will continue your lifestyle of winning. So number one, never lose confidence in the work that God began in you. Philippians 2.13. Never lose confidence in the work that God began in you. Philippians 1, I'm sorry, Philippians 1.6. Number two, always expect every situation to turn around for your good. Philippians 1.19. These are the winner's 10. Always expect every situation to turn around for your good. Philippians 1.19. Number three, never allow Satan to intimidate you. Philippians 1.28. Never allow Satan to intimidate you. Philippians 1.28. Number four. Am I going too fast? Number four. Always stay humble before God and expect Him to exalt you in due time. Always stay humble before God. And expect Him to exalt you in due time. Number five. Never let, never let go of God's Word. No matter how impossible your situation may look. Never let go of God's Word. No matter how impossible your situation may look. Philippians 2.16 Never quit, never quit teaching when Satan's trying to take your voice. <laughs> okay. Number six. Always protect yourself from deception. Philippians 3.2. Protect yourself from deception. Philippians 3.2. Sorry. Number four, Philippians 2, 5. Stay humble before God and expect Him to exalt you in due time. Number six was always protect yourself from deception, Philippians 3, 2. Number seven, never hang on to your past. Keep reaching forward, Philippians 3, 2. Never hang on to your past. Keep reaching forward, Philippians 3, 2. Number eight, always maintain your joy, Philippians 4, 4. Always maintain your joy, Philippians 4, 4. Number nine, never stop planting seed, Philippians 4, 10. Never stop planting seed, Philippians 4, 10. And finally, number 10 of the winner's 10. Always look to God as your source of supply. Always look to God as your source of supply. Philippians 4.19 The winner's 10 from the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul and all of them are found in the book of Philippians. Hallelujah. Did you get something out of this tonight? All right. Why don't we just... Why don't we just go ahead and become the winners and continue to be the winners and champions that God has called us to be. Amen. Amen. Stand if you will, please. Reach out and lay your hands on somebody nearby. Say this with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive your word tonight. I take it into my spirit and I refuse to allow Satan to steal it from me. I've heard words of life because it's your word. I've heard words that will make a winner out of me because it's your word. I've heard words that will make a champion out of me because it's your word. And once again, I refuse to allow Satan to steal this from me. And as I continue in this word, then you said I will become a strong, disciplined person. 
And disciplined people, people are winning people. people. Disciplined people, people are champions. champions. Disciplined people, people are victorious in life. And in Jesus' name, that's the man I will be. That's the man I'll always be. And that's the man that will be presented before people that see me. And I pray in Jesus' name that my winning lifestyle will influence others to want to be the winner in life as well. In Jesus' name. And I thank you for it. And give him your best shout of praise. Amen. Praise God. All right. Why don't we turn it to our winning founding, our our winning uh, senior pastor, Justin Bridges. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Did you receive that tonight? Now we will have those. Uh, You'll be able to go back and listen to these uh, online, um, and so they'll be up uh, probably early part of next week, if not sooner, Um, but you'll get a, we'll probably send a message out uh, to let you know when they're available, uh, so you can go back and listen to a lot of of amazing truths in that, and um, so I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Um, Continue going along the same lines. I, I just will leave you with this scripture because it, it has to do with what Dr. Savell did said tonight, and this is what I'll be unpacking tomorrow for us uh, in Acts 10. And I know this is talking about Peter ministering to the Gentiles, but Jesus says this through him. It says, And a voice spoke to him, Peter again a second time, and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Are you, are, have, you, have you received Jesus, the Lord of your life? The Bible says, and you're cleansed, right? Don't let anyone call you common. The word common in reference there means to be unclean. It means to be, uh, means to be unholy. It means to be, uh, it means to be a failure. It means something that doesn't measure up. And so we're going to unpack some of these things tomorrow and continue to expound on some of the things that Dr. Savell shared this morning. But know that because you're cleansed, you're no longer common, meaning you're no longer ordinary. Amen. Amen. So did you receive something tonight? Thank you all for being out here tonight. Thank you, Dr. Savell, for giving your time. Amen. Amen. You know, his, his schedule this year has been, been uh, and so busy. Like, he, he, he's leaving, I think, at 7 in the morning to go preach in Midland. And then he'll come back late tomorrow night to be here Sunday morning to then fly to Big Spring and, and speak Sunday night in there. And then, then he's gone to, then I think next week there's a St. Louis. There's other things going on. But stretch your hands towards him. Oh, Father, we just thank you for Dr. Savell, Lord. And, and, Lord, I thank you that he knows that there's a church family that's connected to him that we are a part of Jerry Savelle Ministries International. And Lord, we will be his Aaron, we'll be his her, and we will lift up his arms. And I thank you that he has strength for his race. And Lord, we just thank you. We continue to stand just for, for his voice and things that the enemy tried to do when he had the stroke years ago, years back. Lord, that he has come to a place where he'll no longer have an issue with his throat and his vocal cords. No more scarring, creative miracle. We stand with him in that. And we just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.